Hey, let's open our Bibles, Amos chapter 1, Amos chapter 1, you can find it, Hosea, Joel, Amos, and the section of the minor prophets, anybody tell me how many minor prophets there are? Twelve. Twelve? How do you know that? Twelve minor prophets, how many major prophets are there? Five. Easy way to remember that's 512-5512. I used to teach that uh, little sequence. 512-5512 is all the five sections of the Old Testament. The last one is the section of minor prophets. And they're called minor prophets not just because the message is minor, it's just because they're shorter than the others. But I, I read this and I, I kind of like this because uh, I, I feel like it applies to me. It says that, when a new minister was introduced for the first Sunday of his ministry, he was surprised and pleased to be greeted with sustained applause. Listen carefully. <laughs> Thanking them, he told them that he hoped for a long ministry among them. And he said that when there was applause at the beginning of a ministry, that's faith. When there's applause in the middle, that's hope. And when there's applause at the end, that's love. <laughs> you got to think about that. Amos. Little book of Amos. Don't often hear uh, Bible studies about, about the book of Amos. In fact, there's only uh, every now and then you hear about verses from the book of Amos. The only one that I kind of comes to mind is where it says, you know, can two walk together unless they be agreed? It's the only one that... that that I know that is quoted, uh, but there's a bunch of good verses, a bunch of good stuff in there, and uh, we're going we're gonna to look at this book of Amos um, in the next number of weeks. We talked last time about praying for souls, and we really start with prayer, and it really kind of leads into what I wanted to share with you this morning, and, and prayer is, it's, as, as I quoted, it's not the least that we can do, it's the most that we can do, and to pray for people to pray for those that are living, not pray for those that are dead because that doesn't do any good, but to pray for those that are alive that God would open their eyes to see the truth, to see His love. And for us, to you and I, to take this to heart that we would begin to pray for one or two or three people. And the interesting thing is we pray, guess what happens? Not only does God begin to work, but, but our eyes are open as we pray for those other people. And that's why, you know, Jesus said, open your eyes and look at the fields. And that's what I, I think as we begin to pray, we'll, our eyes will be open. We'll be able to see the fields around us. See, it's not, you know, it's not about the society that we're in. It's about the people. It's not about all the stuff that we have. It's about the people. It's not about, uh, you know, moving up in the world. It's about the people all around us every single day. And Jesus also said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. To ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, therefore, into his harvest field. So, so what we pray for, it begins to develop this burden in our hearts. It begins to change our, our hearts as well. As we begin to just pray, again, for one or two or three people. Pray for somebody in your family. You know, we, we can pray for a lot of people. Lord, I just pray for the whole world right now. And he goes, oh, really? Like, which one? 
And, and uh, you know, I, I know that he answers kind of general prayers, but I think that, that he wants us to pray specifically. Maybe there's a friend that you have that is not a Christian, that doesn't know about the love of Jesus. Maybe there's a neighbor that you have. And pray for their souls. Pray, as, as Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his own soul, that, that their souls would not be lost, that, they would, that their eyes would be open to the love of Jesus. You know? It's amazing. I, I've, been, I've been doing this with, with some of my neighbors, and, and now, like, I just started this, and, and, but, but when I see them now on the street, it makes me think, and it makes me pray for them again when I see them. I haven't said anything to them, and I'm praying for you that your soul would be saved, and I haven't gone to them with this bold assertion and everything, but I'm praying for them boldly that God would do something in their lives and hearts. Just a few people, and I wrote down their names. You know, I, I noticed last week, I'm not going to make you do it again this week, but I noticed, you know, I said, can you just write down one or name or two names? And some, some of you go like, I don't know if I want to do that. It like holds us accountable, I think. Or we're, you know, whatever reason. But you know what? I think if you, if you try it, get a piece of paper, get a sticky note. And that's what I have in, in my Bible. And, and I, I wrote the, those few names that I want to just pray for. And, it's, and when I read my Bible, I open it up and there, there it is right there. Every time I open my Bible, there's those names right there. I just want to challenge you to try it. Warren Wiersbe said, when we pray, we will see what he saw feel what he felt, and do what he did. And God will multiply our lives as we share in the great harvest field that is already ripe. He knows what he's talking about, this guy. Just pick one or two or three people. One more quote about that. It says that God cares about the lost and he will rain down salvation from the heavens if we seek him earnestly for the salvation of unbelievers. God cares about the loss. We saw that. We looked at that. He cares. So when you pray to him about a person, he cares about what you're praying about. He cares about that person. There's a connection that is made. And, and uh, let's not let this pass by. It's, oh, that was a great idea. Let's, you know, it was a good message. It was a good this or whatever. Let's make something a part of our lives that we would part of, be part of the few that to get to be a part of that harvest field. Because, you know, with stuff going on in the world, I, you know, how much I feel in my own life an urgency that we need to at least pray and at most pray. Because we don't know how much time we have. We do not know. It's like a crazy world we're living in. You know, all this stuff going on around the world. You almost don't want to watch the news anymore, but you do want to watch the news so you can find out what's going on around the world and how it might play into it. But at the same time, you watch and you get depressed and you get annoyed and you just go like, Lord, come quickly, please. How much more? So looking at this book of Amos now, we, we begin this study. And, and Amos is a very interesting character. And, and uh, I want to look at who he is. But ultimately, he is just an ordinary person like you and me who God used. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. It says, The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, what he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah, and Jer Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your word, and we do pray that our hearts would be open to hear what you would have to say to each one of us, Lord. We're all different. We're all uh, uh, human beings made uh, that you created and you made us in your image, and, and yet uh, we're, we're, we're not all-knowing, we're not all-powerful, but we look to you, the one who is all-knowing and all-powerful, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would provide what we need in this life to be what you've called us to be, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amos, Amos, just think about this guy. He's writing now the, this book that we're reading, this book of Amos. He wrote about 760 years before Jesus, 760 years before Jesus. So that makes it uh, uh, for us like, what's that, 20, who, who's good at math here? 2014 plus 760, that's 2000. 774? 2,774 years ago, this guy wrote. Keep that in mind. That's, that's almost 3,000 years ago he wrote these words to the people of Israel. He's saying he, he got this message, he saw this uh, vision, this prophecy uh, that concerned Israel. He talks, he, he kind of dates it through... Um, mentioning who the kings of Judah and, and, uh, and Israel were. If you recall the, the history of the nation of Israel, that uh, the nation was divided after Solomon was king, and it became the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. And so you had two different kings. They had split apart. Amos, Amos was from the southern kingdom, but Amos was sent to the northern kingdom. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So he was, he was from the southern kingdom, but he was sent to the northern kingdom, and they weren't really always the best of friends. Amos, Amos was a contemporary of Jonah, though. He was about the same time as Jonah and also the other prophet Hosea, which we looked at quite some time ago. But this guy, Amos, you know, for, for the fact that we don't hear much about him, he had a very hard-hitting message. And it was during a time uh, in, the, in the nation of Israel and in Judah, really the time for both, a, very, a time of prosperity, a time of peace, a time that they had success, that everything was going well. They had a lot of material things, and yet their hearts had wandered away from God. Say, so that counts, sounds kind of familiar. And that's kind of what can happen when we, when we have so much and yet our hearts begin to wander away from God. It was a time of moral decay. It was a time of idolatry, a time of when they took the biblical faith and they mixed it with the idolatrous pagan faith and they mixed them together and they came up with this weird religion. And this is the time that Amos is speaking to these people. And you know what? 2,700 plus years ago, he's speaking, but, but the Word of God is just as valuable and applicable today as it was then. It's like, wow, well, that's just what's happening now. And as we go through that message, I think we'll see that. Chuck Swindoll said it was a time of arrogance and idolatry and self-righteousness and materialism. And Amos came along and, and he began to warn them. He spoke to warn them. And the truth of the matter is they didn't listen. 
He wanted to warn them about the fact that they were turning away from God, that they were caught up in all this stuff, but they wouldn't listen. They refused to listen. And the truth is, we know the rest of the story here that in less than 50 years, in less than 50 years, Israel was captured. The northern kingdom was captured and taken into captivity by the Assyrians in like 722 B.C., 721 B.C. They, they had been given uh, almost 50 years of warning and they didn't listen. They didn't hear it. We're going to talk more about that message and as we go through that book, we're going to I go fairly quickly through that book, but look at some of the high points of that message that he has. So if you want to read that, uh, the first few chapters of Amos in preparation for the next message. But I want to get back uh, with the time that we have today because it is Donut Sunday, and I want to get to this uh, message about this man. What? <laughs> about this man, Amos. Because I read that he really liked donuts. No, I didn't read that. What it says here in this first verse of Amos, chapter 1, is that he was a shepherd and that he took, he took care of sheep. This was a lowly job. This wasn't a, you know, a famous job. This wasn't a high-class job, a, you know, a job that everybody wanted, that everybody looked up to. That wasn't the case. He was just a simple shepherd. And in the New Testament, we kind of see the same kind of thing. Things didn't change much in 700 years. Shepherds were not, like, looked up to. They were like, you know, lowly shepherds. But turn to Amos chapter 7 as well. He gives a little bit more information about himself. We don't get a whole bunch of information about him, but, but we go with what we have, right? But look at Amos chapter 7 and verse 14. Amos, it says, Amos answered Amaziah. He said, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd. And I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and he said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Adding to what we saw in chapter 1, verse 1, it says that he was also a person that took care of sycamore fig trees. Sycamore figs were like, like lower class of figs. They weren't even the good figs. They were the low figs. But he says, but the Lord took me from tending the flock and from that fig picking job. And he said to me, go, prophesy to my people Israel. This guy was a shepherd. He was a sheep herder. He was a, uh, uh, a guy that took care of fig trees. He, he had to do whatever it took to bring that crop from those figs. He would pick the figs. But notice he says there about himself, I wasn't a prophet. I wasn't a prophet's son. This guy wasn't from the religious group. In other words, he wasn't, he wasn't in. He wasn't formally trained to be a prophet. He didn't go to the prophet school. And there was, during that period of time, there was what they called the school of the prophets where they would go and, and hang out with, with you know, heavy dude 
prophet guys and learn how to be the prophet and whatever. But he didn't go. He said, I wasn't involved in any of that stuff. Now, that wasn't bad. It was obviously, it was, they, they did it then. And, and, and getting an education and being trained theologically, all that stuff isn't bad. It's, it's not bad. It's good stuff. But he says, you know, that's not where I came from. I, I was just a simple shepherd and I was, and I was a fig picker. And God took me from those things, and He said to me, go. He's just an ordinary guy, yet God called him. Just a simple guy, and God called him. Called right out of his daily job. It wasn't a high-profile job. He was called to go. He was called to speak up. Just an ordinary guy. Now, when we look at, at his words, the way he wrote, and that he wasn't a dummy, he, he was... In fact, I wonder about it because he's, some of his writing is almost like uh, very poetic. And, and maybe because he was out there in the field so much, he, you know, he, he just had this kind of uh, artistic, creative mind. And, he, and he, you know, poetically, he was, that was kind of the guy who he was. I don't know. But God called him, call, called him who he was and, and out of who he was to go and to speak up, to go into all the world is, is what the New Testament tells us to do. And, he, and he's just an ordinary guy, just like you and just like me. See, this guy gives me hope that God can do something with me. And I believe that he, he also gives us hope that he, that, that, that he can do something with you too, for whoever you are. I look around and I see some, and I know some of the jobs that you do, and I say, God could, could take you from where you are and who you are and do something. Not that you're going to leave your job. I, I think he only prophesied for a while, and I think he went back to his job to do he, what he was called to do, that we don't know the rest of his story. This is all we know. But in the middle of who we are, in the middle of, 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 of what God has given us to do, that God can use us, that God can use me, and that God can use you. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 26 through 29. Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul says, <clears throat> Brothers, he says, think of what you were when you were called. He says, Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to, sh to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. Not many. There are some that are wise, and maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm one of those few wise, I'm one of those few strong, one of those few. But I think the most of us realize, you know, we're just a normal kind of, ordinary person. We're just like part of the, 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 the mass of humanity. We haven't reached those high um, rungs on the ladder. But Paul says, don't, you know, look. 
says, look what God has chosen. He's chosen people like you and people like me. And in the end, the reason he does that is so that God will receive the glory. He does that so that no one may boast before him. Because, you know, if, I, if I'm just this brilliant, brilliant person and I do this and that, well, in the end I can say, well, look, I was so brilliant. This is what I did. You know, you read Paul's story. You know, Paul was an interesting character. And yeah, he, he, um, he was very smart. And he studied under some of the most brilliant people before he became a believer. But, but Paul also knew what his heart was like and that he was, you know, that he had no strength of his own. Paul talks over and over about himself. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. He says, I'm weak. He says, I, I, you know, I, I, what do I know? It's all, what I, what I did have, he says, it's all like dung compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. And yet God called him, this man who was actually putting Christians in prison and some to death, he called him out of all that to actually go out and spread Christianity, to spread the gospel and the news of Jesus. Not many wise not many influential, not many noble birth, not many strong. That gives me hope. It's not like we need to become wise, we need to become influential. We, you know, we can't change the, our birth and become noble. We are who we are. And, but it's out of that, you see, that God will do something. Out of, out of who we are, where we came from, that place in San Diego where I was born called Claremont. Can anything good come out of Claremont? Absolutely not. But can God do something with someone from Claremont? Absolutely can. Is, the, is he going to make me? Do I have to you know, pretend and, and make myself into something that I'm not? No, I just have to be who I am because that's who God has made me to be. And, and out of who I am, God can do something. God can use you. The truth is, in our society, though, is that the way that our society thinks? No. It's only the famous, only the wealthy, only the brilliant, only that, that have, you know, have gotten all the stuff on the silver spoon. Those are the ones that can really do something in this world. God's math is so different from, from the world's math. It's always flop it around. The way up is down. The way down is up. One uh, man said this. He said, if, if that's what God needs, the church is in trouble. But if, on the other hand, God is able and actually does use the nobodies of this world, this means that He's able to use us and He will use us if our lives are really given over to Him. It is from people like us that God does great things in order that honor and glory might be given to His own great name. God can do something with us and and He can and He will do something with us if, if we just surrender to Him. I like this. Uh, I read this. Uh, see if I can find it. Um, he says, this woman wrote, If you think that you are too small to be effective, you have never been in bed with a mosquito. <laughs> you. Yeah. When, when David, who became 
this great king of Israel. When David uh, was just young, he was just out in the fields with his father's sheep, just taking care of sheep, just a simple job. He had his little guitar out there, his Martin guitar out there, and he played out there in the woods, out in the fields, just coming up with songs. And that's kind of who he was. But, but God had a different plan for him. But when they came to look, when Samuel, the, Samuel the, the prophet and priest, and he came to look and, and, and they brought the family, God said, there's somebody from the family, this family, I want you to go and see them. And they, they, they brought the oldest you know, son out there. There's a whole bunch of brothers in the family. And they said, you know, the oldest one came out and he was like really tall and really good looking. And Sammy thought, yeah, that's definitely the one. I can just tell. Just looking at him, you can tell that, you know, he's going to be the one. How many of you, when they look at you and they go, yeah, you're the one. You are just, man, you got it. Part of the problem is that the king that was before David, Saul, he was kind of like that. He was very tall and good looking, but it didn't turn out so well. But these are the words that the Lord said to Samuel at that moment. He says, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the things that man looks at. He doesn't look at the things that our society looks at. He looks at the heart. So I don't care how tall you are. I don't care how, how you know, handsome you are or how opposite of handsome you are. It doesn't matter. What, what kind of a heart do you and I have? That's what matters. That's what God can use. That's the person that God can use. He ends up with the very youngest son, David, who, like Amos, was a shepherd, a sheep herder, out there taking care of his father's few sheep. Amos was like that. He was just an ordinary, he was a humble person. And God can use whoever he wants to. God can go out in the field and pick this guy way out there. God can find where you are at your job and, 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 the, and, and tie this together with the family that you have or the person that you're going to pray for. God can use you. One of my favorite uh, people in the Bible is this man Gideon. This man Gideon, you, you, we don't have time to turn there and read his story, but Gideon was just a simple guy. And he was threshing the wheat. He was hiding from the enemy. And he's threshing the wheat, just taking care, trying to get that wheat threshed. And God came to him and said, you know what? You, you are going to do what I want you to do, and you're going to do amazing things. He says, you mighty man of valor. And, and, and it's like Gideon looked around and goes like, you know, where, who? Like me? You want me to actually do something? And you may be thinking, you know what, I'm just going to do my job. You know, God really doesn't want to do anything with me. But I want to tell you something different. I think He does. I think He wants to use you. I think He wants to use me. And I think as we just pray and, and become available to Him that He will, He'll do something. I don't know what. Just, just be available. Amos. I don't know if he had a discussion like that that Gideon had, but God called him and God did incredible things in his life. Read, there's like three chapters you can read about what he did. 
He, he never kind of got over it. And, and Gideon is the guy that put these fleeces out before the Lord. Like, are you sure you really want me? Then prove it. Like, give me a sign. Like, it's really you that wants me to do that. And, and the interesting is, thing is that God gave him the signs to, like, encourage him. Like, four different times, I believe it was. Let me read to you before we close here from David Jeremiah, uh, who God is using, and, and, he, and he's in El Cajon, California. He says, God doesn't take the majority of his workers from the ranks of the wise, mighty, or noble. He speaks about uh, D.L. Moody. He says, D.L. Moody was an uneducated and uncultured man with no educational advantages he established the Moody Press, Moody Bible Institute, Moody Radio Stations, and many other things. He's an example that God's power is not resident in our wisdom. He talks about Gideon as well. He says, after God enlisted the nobody Gideon, he got a nobody army, and then he took those nobodies God did and won the battle. Interesting story. In the end, that that no flesh would glory in themselves, but only in God who uses us no matter who we are. This guy, Amos, interesting, I, I thought about this, that he was, and I mentioned it earlier, that he was from the southern kingdom, but God called him to go to the northern kingdom and speak. So you could say, well, he was a missionary because he was called to go from one place to the other. But the truth of the matter, it was, it was only about 20 miles away. It wasn't like he was going to another continent. It was like, you know, you're getting your, on your donkey and you ride for about, um, well, it depends on how fast your donkey is. You ride for a little while and you're there. And that, but I truly believe that we are all missionaries, whether it's next door or the next con continent, that, that Jesus said we are the light of the world because we are the light that has the light of Jesus in us, who is the light of the world, but then you and I become the light of the world through Him in us. But again, it begins with prayer, that we pray. That we pray for souls, because it's about souls. It's about people's lives. It's about eternity. And then we just see what God does. One of my priorities here, along with worship and, and prayer and teaching the Word, is, is that people can come here. I just want to let you know this. this is, I think about this, is that people can come here and, hear, and they can hear about the love of God. Maybe you just pray. Maybe you can bring them, but, but, I, but it's a priority for me. It's a, it's a goal of mine that, that people would always come and hear about the love of Jesus and that they would have an opportunity to surrender and give their lives to Jesus. Maybe you don't feel like you can do that. Well, well, I don't feel like I can, I can do it either, but I, I, I believe God's, God's shown me, and it says in His Word to Timothy, that, that Timothy should do the work of an evangelist, even if he wasn't an evangelist, and so that, that you could know that, that if you brought someone here, they're going to hear about Jesus, that He loves them, that He died for them. And, and they're going to have an opportunity to say yes to Him. And most often we do it in our closing prayer. But I want to, I just want to, and I like prayer about that too, because I want to be as bold as I possibly can be about that. So in the end, like that little mosquito, 
you, you can't do much. You're, you're too small to be effective. You better believe. You know, we had this real tick problem in our, uh, in our yard. And those things, those things are so small. Like, you know, I found one crawling on me. I was only out there for a little while. I, found, I felt something like starting, uh, like I was just going to scratch it. And then I looked and it was there. And those things are so, so tiny, but yet they can do a lot of damage, right? Say, well, I'm so small, I'm so tiny, I can't do anything. But you know, um, Justin, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but he had one on him, and, 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 and he got the thing off, but the head was still in there. That's, did you hate that? But finally, after weeks and weeks, he got that thing out. And, and, and he came out, and he, and he put it, they had this little microscope, right, for the kids. The kids would learn how to use the microscope. He put it under the microscope, and... Uh, it was just the, just the little part of the head and then the poker thing, whatever that's called. And, and you know what? It was so interesting to look at. This got nothing to do with anything, but it was interesting, so I'll tell you. But it, it stuck out like this, but then it had all these little barbs that, that came down this way. And then so when it goes in, the reason it's so hard to get out is because it, once it gets in there, the barbs are like keeping it from coming out. So let me make some application. For you and I, we may not be very big, but you know what? We can be persistent. And we can be persistent to pray for someone. It's like those little barbs. They're not going to get rid of us. And we're going to keep praying. We're going to keep being a light for Jesus. It doesn't mean that you know, we are perfect. It doesn't mean that we have, have gotten it all together. We're just sinners saved by grace, and that's what we have to offer to the sinners that are all around us. That you, you know, Look what God did for me. He saved me. He's forgiven me, and He still you know, helps me every single day, and, and He's there for you too. Simple message. Simple story. So the response really is, like Isaiah, when Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. That's our response. Let's pray, shall we? Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this man who was a real man, Amos. And yet, he was a simple man, and, and, and he wasn't famous, although you made him famous by putting him in your book. And yet he's not as famous as Peter, or he's not as famous as David or some of the others, but, but yet you used him and, and you sent him out and, and, and he had a, a message, he had a life that he wanted to share, the life of God in him. Father, I pray for each one of us that we would be those men and women of God that, that are available to you and we say, here am I, send me. Maybe it's to my next-door neighbor. Maybe it's to the person who works next to me, and I begin to pray for them and, and bring them before the throne of mercy, the throne of grace. Father, just use us in these days. We don't know how much time we have. It's, it's scary to think. But, but we want to be there, and we want to see, we want to see our, those people around us there too, Father. I want to pray here this morning, too, as I have already said, um, for that opportunity. Maybe there's someone here who has never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, never believed in the cross and the resurrection. Maybe that's you today, and, 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 and the opportunity is now.
for you to simply open your heart and say, I, Jesus, I'm lost. I'm a sinner. But I come to you now and I, and I, I trust and I believe in you. And I ask you to come into my life and my heart and I receive everything that you have for me. And I want to live for you and give you my life. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Amen.